So good to be with y'all. Uh, this is our second Sunday in a mini-sermon series entitled, uh, God Didn't Say That. And uh, last week, Mark kicked this off, and his kind of his big idea is, is basically trying to make sense when things don't go as expected, when there's a tragedy such as when a, a child unexpectedly dies or maybe there's a horrific accident or maybe when a young mom dies of cancer, but there are these times in our lives where either we experience it personally or we know someone where there has been something that that is, is just horrible. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. And so in our minds, we're trying to make sense of it all. And so sometimes we... In, are well-meaning, and we're trying to comfort the, this, the person or the family, and, uh, and sometimes we will say this to others, or we'll say it to ourselves, and we'll say this, well, you know, um, God, everything happens for a reason, and, and Mark unpacked that and talked about how that is kind of a, a, a misunderstanding of the will of God. There's a partial truth there, but not an absolute truth, so if you missed that sermon, uh, it was really, really, uh, I think, helpful from a pastoral perspective and insightful. So I encourage you to go back and catch up either on our podcast or Facebook or on our website because that kind of teed up for what we're going to be talking about today. So today, the big idea and what we're talking about, one of the statements that God didn't say, and it's this, um, I think God just wants me to be happy. I think, don't you think that? I think God just wants me to be happy. Uh, And so as we... uh, look at that phrase. We're going to kind of be digging in and unpacking it. It's very similar to the phrase that Mark talked about last week, and that is this, well, I just know that everything happens for a reason. There there is some truth in it, but God didn't exactly say that, and and there's a way to misunderstand uh, who God is, God's heart, God's purposes, if we don't look at what God really does say. So some of the things. why would someone come up with that idea or have that idea in their mind? Well, well, God just wants me to be happy. I think here are some of the places where that is rooted and grounded. Uh, when we look at the Beatitudes in the book of Matthew, uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching, and he goes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And when you look at the, at the Greek word there for blessed, you know what one of the definitions is? It's happy. It's like happy is the person. When you look at the Old Testament and you see um, Moses is outlining, you know, the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And one of the things that he says, he says, if you obey God's commands, you will be blessed in the country. You will be blessed in the city. You will be blessed in your crops. In fact, it's like the blessings of God are going to come upon you and overtake you. The idea is rude in God's favor, uh, God smiling upon his people, and embedded in that is this idea of happiness. When you look at the curse, uh, you know, this is in the book of Deuteronomy, Leviticus, it's mentioned several times, but you're going to be cursed if you, you know, don't obey the covenant. Here's all these bad things. And so kind of rooted in scripture is this idea that as God's children, and I mean, even think about that, a loving heavenly father, a a loving mother, uh, for those 
those of you who are parents or grandparents, I mean, don't you just want your kids to be happy in life? I mean, I do. Uh, our, our daughter, uh, Claire, is visiting with us this week, and uh, from she's two and a half, and um, I just was at Walmart grabbing some groceries and stuff for dinner, and I thought, you know what? Claire loves Peppa Pig and, and George so much. And I thought, I think I'm just going to go buy her a little. So I went and bought her this, like, this plastic van, you know, where, where like, uh, so, Claire, do y'all know who Peppa the Pig is? Some of y'all, I'm getting some blank faces here. Well, anyway, well, Peppa the Pig, every two-and-a-half-year-old knows who Peppa the Pig is, I do believe. Well, Claire does. But anyway, I went and spent, you know, dropped 35 or $40 at Walmart to buy this little van uh, so Peppa the Pig and George could go camping with their mom and daddy. Did, did she need a new Peppa? No, I just wanted her to be happy. <laughs> and she was. It made her very happy. So there's something that we think about, you know, if someone loves me, especially in a, a parental role, if they're a good mom or dad, don't they just want me to be happy? And so there is some truth to this, the heart of God, uh, but there's also a danger if you think that this is the totality of God's heart and God's desire. What, where could it possibly lead us? So one of the things, and, I, and I've, I've been with people who have said this, well, I really just think God just wants me to be happy. And in that, that becomes sometimes, here's the danger, not everyone's going to go to this place, but I've seen this happen, is that there is this, this um, rationale that that phrase is used to sometimes make some very unhealthy or bad or even sinful choices. And so I just just so you know, it, it was uh, Cheryl Crow. Does anybody know who? Some of y'all are too young to know who she is. But basically she says, if it makes you happy, it just, it can't be bad. You know, so that's Cheryl Crow that said that, not Jesus of Nazareth. So just, just know that piece right there. But, but sometimes it can become an excuse and a rationale to make decisions that are not maybe what God would have you make. So with that, that's, that's kind of one, one ditch you can fall in. The, the other ditch that you can fall into, which I, I think is kind of maybe almost a little bit more what what I experience um, in talking with people is that if God's heart and God's desire is for me to be happy and for good things to come my way, there's all these, looks like in the Old Testament, there's all these promises of God's blessings if I'm doing everything right. And I've tried to do everything right. I mean, I have been to church. I went to Sunday school. I read my Bible. I, I didn't have sex before marriage. I, you know, I've done all the things. Things, and yet this has happened in my world and in my life. And so I think the other danger is, is that can almost sometimes cause us to question if God is good, if God is someone that can be trusted. If God is someone, I thought he was trustworthy. I thought it was all true. But these doubts and these questions begin to, it kind of begins to rock your world. Um, you know, an example from my own life, and this is 
is kind of humorous, and I'm not, you know, this is not a real serious thing. But, uh, but it did kind of, like at first it rocked my world, and then it made me mad. But I remember when I was pregnant with Mary, and I, we were coming, you know, she was close to her due date, and I had a friend who was pregnant at the same time, and it was both the first child for both of us, and we were kind of tracking along. And so one of the things that she was doing was she was like quoting Scripture over the baby and quoting Scripture over her delivery and just all the things. Um, if I had time, I did. You know, sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. You're just saying. But anyway, but I remember the night before her firstborn was was born, we were at church, and I, and she wasn't at church, but I was talking to her husband, and I said, oh, where's, you know, so-and-so, your wife? And he said, oh, she wasn't feeling good tonight. She was having a little bit of lower back pain, and uh, maybe she just ate something funny, but she's just not quite herself. Well, he goes home from church that night. She is in active labor, barely makes it to the hospital on time. And then this was what she said to me. She was like, you know, I just prayed and I just, she didn't say it in this tone of voice. This is how I heard it in my snarky head. She goes, you know, we just quoted scripture and, you know, I just barely felt any pain at all. I mean, I barely, and I was like, oh, okay, that's great. Well, let me tell you, the birth of Mary was not like that. I mean, I was in labor 30 something hours. I won't, no, it hurt like the dickens and it was not fast. And, And then, so it's like, God, why did you favor her, but you didn't favor me? Do you love her? You know, so I begin to equate my, the goodness of God and, and my circumstances with God's love for me. Now, thankfully, I got a little bit older and grew in my faith, and I realized, no, I mean, just genetically, we're, we're different. You know, these things happen. But today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage of Scripture, a true story about someone in Jesus's life that had this same question, this same um, Basically, this wrestling with, if you were a good God, why, why am I not seeing something different in my circumstances? So if you've got your bulletin with you, uh, I invite you to pull it out, and we are just going to work through this scripture. So uh, it comes from the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 11. So when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all these things the Messiah was doing. Now, let's push pause right here. John the Baptist. Who is John the Baptist? Uh, For those of you who grew up in church, you probably remember at Christmas, we often talk about John the Baptist. He was the cousin of Jesus. Um, We also hear of another John in the scriptures, the Apostle John, one of the disciples, not the same person, two Johns here. But this is John the Baptist. Now, why was he called? John the Baptist. This is why, is because John the Baptist, when he grew up, he began his ministry, and his ministry was marked by a very distinctive way. And this is what it was. He was like the prophets of old. He, uh, you know, when you read about Jeremiah and Isaiah and all these prophets in the Old Testament, one of the things that was distinctive about their ministry is they spoke truth 
to power. They spoke truth to power. They were not afraid of calling out the kings and calling out the religious leaders and saying, basically, you are in sin. You are not walking according to God's laws and God's covenant and God's way. Now, sometimes it got them in a lot of trouble, but there was this courage that they had. And so we see John's ministry. It says that he was out in the wilderness. You know, he wasn't in the temple. He wasn't in the city, but he was basically saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, repent. There is one coming. He was the one that kind of pointed to that the Messiah was coming. He even, and I love this, uh, Matthew tells us that the Sadducees and the Pharisees came out into the wilderness to hear him preach. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. This is my, you know, middle Georgia translation. He goes, no, 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 no. Y'all are a bunch of snakes and a brood of vipers. Don't even think to pretend like you're coming out here and you're sincere because I know you're not. I mean, oh my gosh, John. I mean, these are the religious leaders. You just called him out. You don't, that's not politically correct. He really did not care. So think about that. If he had a Twitter account, what it might look like, but just say it. But so we see John the Baptist, one, just this courageous kind of just burly man of a guy, a guy of a man. And so then Jesus comes out into the wilderness and, and he says, oh my goodness. Now, of course, you know, Jesus is his first cousin. Well, I'm assuming they've grown up together. But when Jesus walks out into the wilderness that day and John is baptizing people. He says, he looks at Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Basically, this is Messiah. And he, Jesus, he baptizes Jesus. At first, he's a little bit like, oh, I don't know, Jesus. You know, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus says, no, this is the right thing to do. He baptizes Jesus. And, and, and then there is a voice from heaven that comes down and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Okay, y'all got this? I mean, this is what John knew. I mean, this was his experience. He's the one that recognized Messiah. Okay, y'all got it? All right, let's fast forward because now John the Baptist is in prison. So how did John the Baptist land himself in prison? Well, let me just tell you, if you speak truth to power loud enough and long enough, and especially if you live in Roman society and you call out one of the Roman leaders, you can end up in prison. It is not good. And this is what John the Baptist did. So there was, uh, you know, you read about Herod in the beginning of the New Testament. Herod basically was not someone's first name, but it was the name of a family uh, that was in power. So you had Herod the Great, you had his sons, Herod Antipas. Uh, There were other Herods, but they were all a part of this ruling family. So Herod Antipas was the, the ruler in the Galilean area up there around the Sea of Galilee. And Herod had divorced his, well, first he had an affair with his brother's wife. Okay, just imagine what, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving were like in that family. But anyway, he has an affair with his sister-in-law and divorces his wife and then marries his sister-in-law. And so they've kind of set up shop there, you know, as the the king and the queen or the, the president and the first lady there in the Galilean area. So John the Baptist, who cannot, cannot keep his mouth shut, that's me. I don't know if that, the scriptures don't say that. But basically, he calls them out. And he says, no, 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 no. You have got your, your brother's wife. That is immoral. That is sin. So what do you think happened to John the Baptist? Well, they just lock him up and throw him in prison. And what we found out later in the book of Matthew is that he actually is beheaded 
uh, because of him speaking truth to power like that. But that has not happened yet. So that's where, that's the context. So John the Baptist, who was in prison, he heard about all the things that Messiah was doing. How did he hear about this? He, well, one, he didn't have Facebook, and he didn't have Instagram, and he didn't have CNN, and he didn't have Fox, but he has friends. And so they are coming to him, and they're reporting to him all the things that Jesus is doing. You know, and he says, and I think it's interesting here, it says he heard about all the things that Messiah was doing. This is this Old Testament word, this Old Testament word, that there is one who is coming to set things right. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, and this is the question that I want you to wonder with me and think about, why did he ask this question? And he asked the question, he says, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Let's imagine for a moment with me, you are John the Baptist. You have been doing everything right. You grew up, you know, Zachariah and Elizabeth, the priest was your daddy. I bet when you were little, if they had had Awanas, if they had had, you know, Bible drills, if they had had vacation Bible school, you would have been there. You would have had like your little stickers. Does anybody remember getting stickers when you memorize scriptures or or candy, anybody? You know, he would have got, he would have left synagogue with his little, you know, bag full of, of the little Pop-Tart things or, you know, whatever you get. So he was rooted and grounded in that. He, he had been faithful. He had not let the allure of the prestige and the power of, of, you know, being a religious leader. He had been doing everything right. He was the one who had said, yes, you're Messiah. Why would he begin to question now? And Jesus told him, he said, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. See, I wonder if in that moment he is questioning, you know, when I look at the Old Testament, when I look at the prophets, when I look at the Old Covenant, if I'm doing this right and Messiah is here, then God should be answering my prayers. God should be changing my circumstances. Something seems amiss and wrong. I must have gotten it wrong. But this is what Jesus tells tells his friends to go back and say. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now, at a first glance at this, I I wonder, and I you know what what the way that struck me was like Jesus. Are you just pouring salt into the wound? You know, I mean, this is, this is your cousin. And I wonder if he's saying, it's like, Jesus, I mean, we're, we're family. I mean, it's not just like I'm, I'm, I'm doing, like I'm this good person who's been obeying, but, but it's like, we're also family. Like, can't you get me out of this prison? And it, and it almost seems as if when Jesus said, well, look, uh, the blind can see, the lame are walking, the dead are raised, it's like, right, that's what I'm talking about. If you can do all these miracles, can't you like send an angel or something to like open the prison doors? Like, can't you, you know, strike hair down, you know, with lightning or something? Like, like, can't you get me out of here? I'm your cousin. So he begins to question maybe 
if his truth that he believes, if, if there's something that is amiss, something is awry. Another thing about this statement here, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. This is also uh, maybe a little bit of cousin code uh, between the two of them, because each one of these statements can be found in the book of Isaiah as a promise about what is to come when Messiah comes. And I wonder if at some level Jesus is also saying, yes, look what you see and look at what you hear. You, I wonder if he was saying, John, your understanding of who God is and God's heart and God's purposes and God's character, it is partially true but it is not 100% true. Yes, God is a God where we see in the Old Testament, a God of vengeance, a God of righteousness, a God that, you know, speaks truth to power, that calls out kings when they're leading, our, you know, the nation of Israel away. But God is also, if that's all you see of God, if that is the complete totality, you have what is a, a caricature of, of God that is not rooted in the totality of who he is. God's heart is for the blind to see, the lame to walk. It is, it is a heart of love with deeds of mercy and compassion. God is, is more than your limited view of how you are seeing him right now. There are purposes beyond, uh, you know, just getting rid of all the Herods in the world. Because here's the truth. You might have one Herod, but the next generation, you're going to have another Herod, and you're going to have another Herod. Their names, and, the, and it's just going to change. He said, but the truth is the good news that Messiah has come to take away the sins of the world, to offer acts of compassion and love and mercy. This will never change. He said, this is what's happening. And then he added, blessed, God blesses. That, again, that word is happy right there. If you look at the Greek, it says, basically, God blesses. There, there is this idea of happiness and joy. Those who do not fall away because of me. And, and I think that word also there in the Greek, it can also be the idea of being getting tripped up, getting tripped up. It's like, blessed are you if you don't get tripped up over this, that you have been praying and asking for something but your circumstances are not turning out the way that you had hoped. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I can get a little, um, I mean, this is just me being honest. You know, sometimes when you're, when you're praying for something, and, and maybe it's a thing with one of your kids, or maybe it's someone in your family that's going through a hard time, or maybe there's, there's something really difficult, and you've gone to Bible study, and it's, it's been hard. You know, let's say you go to small group, you go to Sunday school, and, and, and again, I don't mean to be snarky, but somehow this is how it, it translates in my sinful head. So let me just put this out there. But somebody comes bebopping in and it's like, well, how's your week been? And it's like, this has been so great. They do not talk in that tone, but that's how it gets translated in my brain. It's like, it's been so great. Like I ordered a parking place at the mall and I prayed and I got it right up right by the door. And they're like, you know, 120 pounds wet and going to aerobics every day. And it's like, no, you didn't need that parking place, you know. 
But it's like, oh, or, or I prayed for just the right outfit to go to this. And, and I don't want to demean praying for the little things in life because I know God cares. But it's like sometimes I want to go, why did you give them a parking place? And why did you give them the right dress to wear to that, out, to that party they were going to? When I'm praying for my child who's smoking pot right now. You know, I'm praying for my friend whose marriage is, is falling apart right now. I'm praying for this, this mom who just found out she has cancer. It's like, Jesus, I really don't care if somebody got a parking place. I want you to answer, if you're good, answer my prayer. And so if you pray for parking places, go for it. That's great. <laughs> but if you're in perfect health and really in shape, you might want to like park a little far away from the, from the store because give that parking place to somebody who has limited mobility. You know what I'm saying? And who really needs it because they probably are praying for a parking place because they really need it. All right, that had nothing to do with this sermon. <laughs> that is just friends, pet peeve in life. But I think that's what Jesus was saying. John, you have a limited view, and right now all you're seeing is your jail cell, and all you are seeing is you feel maybe entrapped right now. But my purposes are so much bigger and so much grander. You know, I don't know why Jesus did not get his cousin out of prison. I do not know because we see in the book of Acts that, that Paul's in prison and he sends an angel. I don't know why one person prays for healing and is healed and another prays to the exact same God and they are not healed. I do not know why one mama prays for her teenager to come through the teenage years unscathed and they do and another mama with just as much faith prays those exact same prayers. I don't know, but I do know the things that God didn't say. You know, I just want you to be happy in life. But here are the things that he did say, and this is what I want us to hold on to. He did say, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He did say that it, when it feels like, you know, that your whole world, when, when the waters are like overwhelming you, I will be there. I will be your shelter in the storm. I will be your rock. Uh, he said, as you go out and pray, proclaim the good news, he said, I will, you know, I'm going to be there empowering you. We read in the Old Testament, it's so beautiful. They were going through the wilderness and, and God was constantly there with them. He was their cloud by day, their fire by night. He was the one that protected them from their enemies. And so there are these promises that, yes, we pray. And, and I do believe, and we see, you know, I know this personally, and I've also seen it in Scripture, that in prayer we partner with God. And so often things, I, I know things change because we pray. But if they don't, if they don't, Jesus would say, don't let this trip you up because God is bigger and God has kind of the eternal view in, in store here for you. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. And he says, what kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of the wind? 
Oh, no, 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 no. You know, John was not someone that he just repeated what the last person in the room said. It's like, oh, do you believe this? Yeah, I believe that. Oh, do you believe this? No. John was someone with kind of with a, I don't know, a backbone of steel. He, he was not swayed. He said, were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? You know, were you expecting to see him in the palace or in Jerusalem hanging out with the high priest? And he said, no, 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 no. John was not tempted by these things. Oh, no. He said, were you looking for a prophet, someone like Elijah from the Old Testament? He said, oh, yes, he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the way before you. He is the one that Isaiah was talking about when he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to send one before you. He's the guy. He's the guy. And then he says this. He said, I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Let's let that sink in for just a second. He said, out of all who have ever lived up to this moment in time, there is not one single person that is greater than John the Baptist. He is my cousin. He is my family. And he has obeyed God. There is none greater. And yet I've not let him out of this prison. He, he, you know, of course, Jesus, I'm sure having, you know, all knowledge would know that Jesus, that John would actually be beheaded. His circumstances, John's circumstances, were not a reflection of God's love for him or his lack of happiness and joy or whatever it was were not a reflection of what God thought of him. And I think that's the danger when we have this caricature of God, when we think, you know, God just wants me to be happy. So if things aren't going well, I begin to question uh, and I begin to mistrust the one that I should be trusting. And I think that's what he would say to us today. It's like, if you want to know, does God love you? Is God for you? Is God pleased with you? Is God on your side? There's one place and one place only that we look, and that is the cross. And we remember the words of John, the disciple, who said, for God so loved the world, for God so loved Fran, for God so loved you, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And I think Jesus would say, John, what's about to happen is I'm about to die on the cross, and this is the greatest evidence of how great my love is for you, my cousin, and also for all humanity. And I'm going to prove that I'm going to break the power of sin and all the evil that is in this world when I rise from the dead. So as we think about this phrase and, and just these two, you know, uh, this little short series here about God didn't say that, I invite you to really search the scriptures, the totality of it, to really understand who God is. Because I think sometimes when we have a character of God and we have just this a partial picture, it can lead us to some places where we assign blame or to, to God when he shouldn't really, you know, he's not to blame or it can lead us to make some, some really unwise and unhealthy decisions. I think God's heart is that you be blessed. I think it is that we experience joy and happiness and love and peace and all the good things. But in the midst of circumstances, the promise that we have is that he will be with us. We look to the cross to know how much he loves us.